0: this is the dreadful podcast on tv podcast industries we're back with penny dreadful city of angels episode two dead people lie down
1: i didn't have much of a choice really my mother had me on the revival circuit when i was four i would sing a song and she would pass the hat lullabies and the lord we went from town to town all over nebraska Sooner or later, the faith just found me. Have you been saved, detective?
0: Are you offering? Welcome back, Dreadfuls and Penny Faithful. We're talking about Penny Dreadful City of Angels Episode 2, Dead People Lie Down. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow dreaders. I am one of your other hosts, John.
1: And rounding out the trio, I am Chris. May
0: the fourth be with you, fellow TV podcast industry hosts.
1: every time I hear that I just want to the the old Catholicism kicks in at me and just and also with you (laughs)
0: that's (laughs) that's, that's that's (laughs) true the old Irish person always kicks in at me and goes no it's the 4th of May what's wrong with these people but it (laughs) makes more sense (laughs) yeah there was a little bit of the force
2: ghost thing happening with Raoul uh, I think uh, in this episode of Penny Dreadful as
0: well (laughs) do the dead people actually lie down (laughs) or or, are they stood up exactly yes lots of people watching the brand new Star Wars Star Wars film today, we're going to be podcasting about Penny Dreadful instead. Uh might watch the new Star Star Wars film. I have seen it once uh in the cinemas. Uh, only time I've ever ever watched Star Wars once in the cinema, I normally go twice. Uh don't know whether that's an indication to my actual feelings of it or whether we uh, were just very busy at the time. <laughs>
1: we were busy. We were busy. Yes, yeah. we were busy. Yeah,
0: but I think I'll give it another shot. I think I'll watch
2: it again. Yeah, no, oh, absolutely, definitely. Um, I think we, what, didn't we discuss the fleet of Imperial Star Destroyers, um, not really being very effective against the ragtag sort of, uh, rebel force that came?
0: That's because there were millions of them.
2: I yes. know. Yeah. Too many crammed into a short space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, this is not our Star Wars podcast. This is our Petty Dreadful podcast, The Dreadful podcast on TV Podcast Industries. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, make sure you go over to tvpodcastindustries.com um, where you can also leave us a voicemail with your thoughts on any of the uh, things that pop up throughout this series of Penny Dreadful. Uh, you can also email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com if you want to share any thoughts. But as I say, subscribe to the podcast to get our thoughts about each of the episodes as they come out. Well, let's jump into our discussion about episode two of Penny Dreadful*: City of Angels, Dead People Lie Down. Uh, once again, this episode was directed by Paco Cabezas. Uh, he directed episode one and four episodes from the original Penny Dreadful and written by showrunner John Logan, who's written most of the episodes of the original series. Uh, th- he doesn't write every episode of this series. There are another couple of writers that will be coming on board as the series goes on. Um, but we don't actually have a list of them because they're only released after each episode comes out. Uh, and so when you see the credits, that's when you know who's written the episode episode but i do know uh, in the future there are some other episodes written by other people in this series so there's some other people going to be coming on board so excited to see what they bring to the world of penny dreadful as well
2: yeah i think we can jump into it or we can lie down and ease
0: into it like <laughs> dead people Like <laughs> dead people yes <laughs> well lying down and getting uh, an easing into it john do you want to give us the summary for this episode sure
2: Raul Vega lies on the brink of death as his brother mateo meets the charismatic pachuco fly rico Tiago and Lewis's investigation lead them to the temple of the radio evangelist sister Molly Finister and her formidable mother, Miss Adelaide. Councilman Townsend and his cunning assistant Alex capitalise on the discord in the city to further their political goals. Meanwhile, Peter Kraft has a chance encounter with Elsa at the beach, and his sons meet her unnerving boy Frank. Lewis and his old friends investigate clandestine
0: Third Reich activities in Los Angeles. A kind of a major setup episode, I think, for the series. Lots of uh, things going on, a lot particularly within the investigation that's going on, and obviously a lot of fallout from the first episode uh, with everything that's happening in the hospital this time.
2: Yeah, th- definitely, big time. I mean, I think the, the, the first episode really, it was kind of wham, bam, it put you right in the middle of that kind of conflict on the monday for the start of the big dig for the freeway Mm -hmm. and i think this is really now uh, it it felt very character heavy and and exposition heavy to just kind of further just broaden out this world some of you know picking up the threads um around the nazis but also with councilman townsend Mm -hmm. uh, and the fallout of, of the the, the big sort of battle uh between the cops and the mexican community there yeah. uh, at the end of episode one so it like it it felt a little strange it felt like the gas was uh you, you know you 're pulling the foot off the pedal a little bit actually, mm. I think for this one and it it was. Kind of trying to just get your head around um that change of pace because it it, it became just it, it felt a little more sedate after the first one. But I think there was a lot of great character development. I think that's only like the thread of Detective Mechner's um sort of band of of brothers i suppose and his investigation is kind of clandestine investigation into um her goss uh, and and the nazis mm-hmm. in la i thought that was really interesting yeah. um, and and just uh tiago as well i think we didn't maybe mention him you know, he's very central to this and i thought um a, a lot of the stuff though with his family but also with the cops and his encounter with Molly uh, was really uh, important for his character just to pull out certain things. But it was a massive change of pace, mm-hmm. uh, which could throw some people for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, not, not a massive change of pace for Penny Dreadful overall. After we, after we just watched the last three seasons, there were certainly episodes like this where you have to build characters. You have to get to know these brand new people. So that's what this episode felt like a bit.
1: Yeah. I am infor- I'm not going to give away too much of my opinion. We'll get through that as we discuss mm-hmm. the episode in more detail. Um, I didn't do the Penny Dreadful watchback, um, and, or retrospective. And unfortunately, I'm still comparing it to, H- to an historical counterpart, which in this case is Watchmen. Um, because okay. it's both were yeah. are, are period pieces to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, both are slightly alternate history. One superheroes, one supernatural. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm comparing it there. And I think John said it best is they took the foot off the gas To show you the surroundings a bit more, so we sped through, it was an adrenaline rush of a first episode, and now it's like, okay, we're going to slow down and take in the scenery. And unfortunately, they took off too much off the gas, in my opinion. Right, right. They didn't justify why they slowed down as much as they did to take in the sights. But let's get into it, because I think Mm -hmm. that will kind of work through, and I'll be able to discuss a bit more of why I think... I think you should have done something more here, there, or elsewhere,
0: yeah, and one thing I will say uh, after again watching the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful, I think it's adding something to what I'm picking up from the episodes this early on. um I'll definitely talk about it as we go through some of the some of the points, but I think there are some kind of callbacks to supernatural things that could be happening that you may not see at first glance uh, if you're watching the show as Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, having not seen the original. So uh, let's get into our discussion about the episode. We're going to pick out a couple of big moments uh, to talk around. John, do you want to pick the first big moment from the episode?
2: Yeah, ambulance sirens to the ready. I'm talking all things hospital uh, related, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the the fallout at the hospital um, was just really, really well done. I thought actually this was a great opener. Um, and I think it kept the tension building and not just from the the big event at the end of episode one there mm-hmm. but you know between the police and the mexican community and um, the tension in the vega family as well and i i thought this was was really good you know um i think you you have the kind of the the nasty underlying awfulness of um captain van um I think you see a real bonding of Tiago and Michna in this episode. You, you get the sense that he is good with his partner even mm-hmm. though he was lumped with him at the end um, and and uh, you know you kind of have that nice sort of normal that kind of cop buddy element where he's, he's protecting uh, tiago's family and um, I, I i do like um you know there's so much flat uh tear gas flying around uh, i could hardly see anything and um you know i was i was so scared i was trying to crawl up inside my own touche uh, to so he didn't see anything i i, I think nathan lane has some
0: absolutely great lines yeah. in, in yeah. this episode. Uh, I really, really liked I him. Yeah, I um, in this episode, definitely. But you're right, the tension between the police and the, and the Mexican community in this yeah. episode is really underlined. God, if, if that police officer Riley yeah. doesn't get killed by somebody through, throughout this series, I'll be really unhappy because <laughs> he's making me really unhappy to be Irish because there is this stereotype in the U S because it was true that a lot of Irish people join police forces around the country and, they're always the most racist characters in TV shows. And this guy Riley is taking the biscuit right now. He's really, really tough to watch because of how because of his opinion and how it's directed towards yeah. Diego particularly.
1: I, I I get the feeling from his uh, later encounter with um another Vega member of the family. I, mm-hmm. I get the feeling that will I, I, I do not think he will be long for this world and he may be mm-hmm. um yeah. poked by a different Vega member. But yeah, that, that old scene where yeah. he walks in, when Tiago walks in, uh, and he gets spit on. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, just punch him. But no, he just keeps pulling, Absolutely. Keep pushes Mitchner through for, further. And I'm like, no, 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 I would have just let him go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? It's, it's even just that it, it's like you, you kind of get it on a, a number of different levels that you, you hear the... The the doctor saying, well, we looked after the officers first and then we got to to the Mexicans. Um, And and even within the police force, um, even though Tiago was standing on that side of the divide with with the LAPD, um, Riley still believes that there's a cheap spit and a cheap shot that he needs to get in with tiago but I, I like the resoluteness of tiago saying if i go through the back door uh into the hospital i'll be doing that all my life mm. and i like again that uh, michner is ready to give riley a punch here um but you know you've kind of got that emotive thing from riley and um as as well be just because of the the cops that have died so you know if 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 It's a, a battle and you're taking sides, there there is that rationale behind that, but he also does have this underlying, um, sort of uh, racism as well. But mm-hmm. I think the the more disturbing is that kind of officialdom or and, and the racism around Captain Vanderhoef, where you know, um, he has this um chit chat with um, Miechner and Tiago after Meechner's kind of been all bandaged up and his wounds seen to where he says, you know bring me a Mexican head on, on a plate mm-hmm. with regards to the Hazlitt murder. And you have, again, you have that great line from uh, Mechner um just so that we're clear, you want us to conclude it, um, not to solve it. You know, it, it it's a it needs to be uh, expedient that it's a Mexican, yeah. and, and in some ways this this connects in with Townsend and, and his exploitation of this situation. And mm. um, I even kind of like that Captain Vanderhoff. You know, in a sense, he he's so. Um, Angry prejudiced at the Mexicans that he with the Hazlitts, he talks about some voodoo ritual which yeah. um you know is more car- is creole caribbean it's not even mm. uh, i I know that it draws from elements of of Mexican superstition but it is kind of a i think it's a you know a different thing
0: Absolutely. Really, yeah, totally um, connected. but again it's just showing his racism we yeah get, we get a number of moments of it you even see how he treats tiago every time tiago responds to him you know we, we see as he arrives and he goes four police officers are dead and nobody saw anything and tiago going to him how many mexicans and he, he's like don't even start with me kind of thing you know we're here to solve the police murders we're here to sort out who killed the police not anything to do with the mexicans um Again, in that in that moment when he's talking to uh, to Tiago and uh, and Mitzner, um, it's Tiago that says to him, "Is it any Mexican head that you want, or do you want the person that did this murder?" Basically, you know. Yeah. Um, and you see the look from from the captain, effectively going, "Just you stick out of this. This is police work." This isn't work for Mexicans, you know. Um, There's so many great little elements that they have built into how Tiago and his family are are being dealt with. You know, you, you mentioned about the the morgue where you have the crying woman over the dead police officer. And what Tiago sees out of the corner of his eye is a room where all of the bodies of the Mexicans have yeah, been. Dumped. Exactly. If you counted the bodies there, I think it's six bodies yeah, in that room. At least. And there's a number of other Mexicans who are fighting for their lives around around the hospital. So many, many more Mexicans affected by this than than police officers, but it's counted as four police officers. And it's even said at one point that the narrative that's being taken from this is the Mexicans started it, they cold-bloodedly killed these police officers, they're yeah. the ones that fired the first shot. And as we know they didn't fire the first shot. The first shot was fired by a police officer.
2: It, it's that officialdom of, of the narrative, but also um, you know that, that plays into the fears or the prejudices of someone like um, Riley uh, and at what Townsend is doing to the the wider sort of middle class upper class community mm-hmm. in, in L.A. I think um, as well, just come, come bring it back to Riley with um, Matteo in in the canteen at the hospital mm-hmm. again i just thought this was a great introduction to this character fly rico and um, that that image of the knife flicking and you know riley's trying pressing into Matteo's eye at the drink machine it's disturbing And um, but i think what well, it's a really good introduction for rico And mm-hmm. um, but here you know he's riley I, I think you pointed this out derek riley calls rico by his name mm-hmm. he 's not calling him some derogatory term for yeah. for mexican so the, the, there's something here with rico whether he's head of a, a gang but he you know he's a part of the pachuco Um, so the, the there's some innate respect or, or fear that he has mm-hmm. uh, about fly rico um and great line as riley says there's four of us and, and rico says there's a city of me mm-hmm. i thought what a quality line uh really nice and kind of we don't see it in this episode but effectively says to uh, mateo um well you you didn't scream and um, you're a Pachuco, uh, come meet me at the cat, which I presume is the hangout for them and the bar or club or, or something. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm interested to to see that, but I think as well you see uh, Matteo breaking down there before Riley kind of comes to to bully him effectively, mm-hmm. um, and I think that just brings me to you know the tension with the Vega family, this other aspect mm-hmm. in the hospital. You know, it's 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 kind of that uncomfortable element where tiago knows he was the one that shot his brother mm-hmm. raul is literally only just alive on a ventilator yeah. um and has what two days at most and yet Matteo, you know goes i saw what you did mm-hmm. um he knows H- his mom certainly doesn't and his sister doesn't but Matteo does and again it's this this split here um, and and you have Maria, sort of, sort of going into her Mexican culture and praying at the the end of his bed, and you see the nurse then as well, Ugh, yeah. sort of just saying it's unsanitary or unhygienic, and you're like, is it really though? Exactly. Um, it, it's
0: just really it's, like, just, it's just distracting for yeah. the nurse effectively. But I do love that moment between uh, between Diego uh, Daniel Zavato and and um, Maria Adriana uh, Berdasi where. Maria saying to him look what they did to my son. Look look upon what they've done to your brother kind of thing and you just see the look in uh, Dana Zavala's eyes and in, in Diego's eyes where he's just got to go and I hope she never finds out it was me that shot him because uh, maybe I will be kicked out of the family. It's a beautiful little just moment between the two of
1: them. Yeah. I, I definitely think she, she's very much going to find out in the next couple of minutes mm. in the beginning of episode 3. Um <laughs> she is. Yeah. yeah. The Vega versus Vega. Um is going to be interesting because mm-hmm. yeah, it was if you in the uh, beginning of this episode, episode two, they slightly changed the prophecy. So, or they they didn't highlight. It. So it was race versus race, nation versus nation, mm-hmm. brother versus brother. Mm-hmm. So in the previously on Penny Dreadful, Story of Angels, uh, they only highlighted <laughs> race versus race, brother versus brother. Nation versus nation was left out. Um, okay. Okay. So it seems that they're, they're, they're picking it a bit further. So they, they'll zero in on which one of the, the part of the prophecy they want to highlight, uh, in, more mm-hmm. in each episode. Um, I do now see, um, poor little, uh, Vega Jr., um, being, uh, going off to this gang um and kind of splitting the family further uh it would be him mm-hmm. versus him it's it did remind me the switchblade element of rico did remind me of guys and dolls or like west side story so it's like just kind of like gonna start like rap battle not even rap a dance off with the cop yeah. um it's like oh no he's <laughs> gonna get us with his eloquent technique and sp- pirouettes uh <laughs> ah.
2: I think that's a good fighting style. It really though, isn't is. it? If
1: you look at West Side Story, it scares off yeah, everyone. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. To be fair, if someone comes at me in a dark alley and starts pirouetting, I'm probably not going to sure what's going to happen, so I will walk away. <laughs> Especially
0: it, if they're holding a switchblade.
1: That, exactly. Yeah.
0: It's kind. Of, it's like the
2: spin kill in Mortal Kombat or something yeah. like that. <laughs>
1: um, I'm interested to see where it all goes. I think that the whole race versus race is going to be front and center most episodes now um Mm. it's gonna it's gonna become more and more i i'm my only bit is i'm hoping they don't some of it felt forced and i don't mean that in a bad way it's just we we know that the the captain already doesn't like mexicans It was established Hmm. in episode one. So this just, his first comment kind of just, okay, okay, solidifies that when they're outside. And it was just like the Mexicans did this. So when he's in, they're in the canteen and you have, he's telling uh, Tiago and Michener to just solve, to conclude the Haslett case. And it's very obvious. It's just, that's the one where it's like, it's just like any Mexican will do. And I'm like, that's, that's okay. We're we're getting a a very blunt hammer on the racism.
0: Well, I think for me, this is the type of racist that doesn't believe they're a racist. So I think Riley has an opinion about everybody that isn't white. Officer Riley is an absolute racist and seems to be quite proud of it. Basically sure. he's willing to get everybody in and, and get rid of everybody and send them all back home. The councilman yeah, yeah. is also another racist who knows he's a racist, but doesn't care. I think the chief believes he's not a racist, believes that all the, all the things he's seen point to a Mexican and he needs this closed down because he's under pressure from above and i think his kind of arc that we've seen over the last two episodes is this is how some people talk themselves into i'm not a racist when they are yeah. i think that's what we're seeing from him so i think he's a different type of racist and i think seeing a, a character like that is important in this show if you're if you're going to talk about it, race yeah. relations in in LA at the time it's- there's going to be some people that are supportive of mexicans like lewis mishner who understand the trouble the trouble that, that they're going through and you've got other people who just think oh well i need to get my job done and my job involves making sure that a mexican is the one that's responsible for this and they're the ones that are going to be brought to justice and then that will close it down and then i can move on to- with my day job kind of thing so i think that's the arc that we're seeing from him
2: yeah it's, it's almost like he is he's Projecting institutional racism. Exactly. He doesn't necessarily believe that it is, but he is being told we've got to get an, a Mexican, mm-hmm. or he's just looking at the crime scene and saying, "Well, it's Day of the Dead makeup; it must be a Mexican." Um, and I think, I think that's just who he is. So I didn't really see it as being hammered home. I just think that is Captain Vanderhoff. He mm-hmm. he projects the institutional racism and bias uh, against. What is perceived as an immigrant community, and so that's what he does. But I, I, I like the fact that, um, I like the fact that Tiago always kind of um challenges him on it, and I think that's the that's the difference between him and Riley. Is that with Riley he kind of almost ignores him. It's it's Michener who is. Trying to fight Riley and not Tiago. Tiago yeah. kind of ignoring him. Whereas with Vanderhoff, Tiago is always saying "Which Mexican head?" or "Well, how many Mexicans died?" Mm-hmm. He's always challenging him, and it's like Vanderhoff is like, a, "Not now, um you know. Uh, I haven't got time to have this debate." Because there's part of me wondering: Is it Vanderhoff who maybe promoted Tiago in, and we just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's dealing with a, another thread, I suppose. But at the end of the day, Tiago and uh, Michener, um just kind of go, well, we are going to try and solve this case, mm-hmm. actually. Um, which I thought was um, kind of... Yeah, that's that's the usual cop. I mean, it's a little bit of a trope. Ignore what the the superior says and go off and do your own thing. Of course. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of like that in this case because of where it kind of led us to. But... Um, I suppose just coming quickly back to the hospital, the final bit is, you know, Maria Vega, uh, yes. she does a lot of praying. Um, there's obviously no after hours get out guests, no. mm-hmm. uh, at this time. Um, given that she's still in the ward, uh, still praying, but, um, I think I, this, this was a great scene and it was something I suppose kind of signposted, uh, in many respects with the fact that she would, Delve back to Santa Merta. Um and again it it's really nicely done from a horror perspective. Dare I say it in in a number of regards? Just the looming sort of headdress of Santa Myrta behind Maria, mm-hmm. and each time she looks around, she's gone. And then you get that flickery light, yeah. and her. There's just you know that's that's classic um, horror. And of mm-hmm. course, even though I've, I've watched this episode twice now, I still. Let out a yelp, uh, when she turns around and Raul is there, yep. um, bloody but awake and, and out of his bed. And I suppose the big thing here for me, it's like, it's a good ending to finish on that, but is, is he a zombie? Is he possessed or controlled by Santa Muerta in some way? A bit, maybe a bit like with Magda and her multiple forms. Or is this a vision that, uh, Maria is seeing and actually he's still in the bed? Mm-hmm. I- I'm hoping he kind of comes alive just to really inject that superstition element into it. And, you know, maybe he's, um, he- he's, uh, changed in-, in some way. Like he, yeah. he becomes as creepy as Frank, Frank Branson, uh, the little kid, uh, Elsa's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that would be cool. Cause, that little kid at the moment is giving serious, creepy vibes, and I reckon Raoul could as well
0: here. A- absolutely. Well, remember, you know, the episode is called Dead People Lie Down, Raoul Standing by the End of the Episode. You know, there's definitely allusions to what's happening here. Um It calls big questions for me for the episode. This is the the moment at the end where you're going, what's going to happen next week, obviously. So um has Santa Muerta stepped up? Has she stepped in to the world of humans and provided them with a defender against... What, uh, what Magda's doing with all, with everybody else? Is that what this is? Her bringing back role? Is this a good idea? Is it a bad idea that role's been brought back to life? He is the one that shot all four of the cops, I think, or at least three of the cops, because he took out the gun, shot a couple of them, and then tried to shoot Michener before being shot by, uh, by his brother. So, yeah. um, so him being back, does that mean, He's brought back to life and now he goes to court. So it's a it's zombie on trial for the next couple of episodes. Yeah, I was
2: thinking, is he going to start eating raw steak from the fridge <laughs> yeah, or something like that? That's yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the other thing, as we were talking about oh, earlier yeah. on, you know, having watched three seasons of Penny Dreadful, this is a big supernatural moment. So is Maria Vega the Victor Frankenstein of this show? She's just brought oh. a dead body back to life. Um, so is Raoul going to be the monster of the show is he going to be someone that's brought back and maybe he doesn't have a memory because he's been shot in the head remember he was yeah the, the doctor has said he may have some serious impact by being shot in the head so perhaps he's the monster of the show does she know what she's doing when she asks a deity to bring her son back by praying to to her you know uh, was that is this a good idea you know so we're all left with just that one moment at the end of the episode suddenly going spinning it into the world of penny dreadful for me definitely i think the, the supernatural
2: element, um, you know, there's a lot of real world stuff here, um, which the original Penny Dreadful actually just didn't have because it was literary characters. I mean, its setting was, but, yeah. you know, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, Dracula, all, all, the, it, it was m- much more sort of,
0: focused on on the supernatural element but the victorian Um, era played a massive role in the show there was a huge amount of the victorian era talked about in the show and the type of people that were in control of london the powerful people that were in control at the time and had these literary characters walking through that world It
2: did but i suppose at the moment for me between episode one and two yes the supernatural thing is there Mm -hmm. for sure but it is more peripheral compared to the original three seasons okay. at this moment in time and i think here is a is a big moment depending on how it's played as to whether he is now alive mm-hmm. uh, and maria has that power to commune with the the spirits at uh, for uh effectively to bring her son back from the dead in whatever form that may be whether he he is just alive and he's i mean which is going to make it sort of awkward for tiago mm-hmm. um or he's kind of a slightly zombie slightly off kilter and yeah. maybe descends into a bit of madness um uh so th- th- that that's all i mean but so you know this is a huge point at the at the end i think mm-hmm. Um again i i think uh, maria vega is really good i sure. i i love how she didn't have as bigger um as as much screen time in this episode most of it praying, but again, I think just that sequence in the hospital as she has brought Santa Muerta in- into uh the physical plane from mm-hmm. from a spirit uh- domain then um it it is really is really nicely played by her Um i thought it was really good she Uh,
0: really does have a hotline to santa She's twice in a week (laughs) she's brought a deity into the living world like that's pretty powerful as a Brujo, as a witch isn't it (laughs) to be able to bring a deity to life twice or into the physical realm
1: well to be fair santa morta is the 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 person that brings the dead to To heaven or wherever she mm-hmm. is the like courier um when Maria is lighting an open flame in a hospital ward with right beside the oxygen <laughs> tanks, well, very close <laughs> to the oxygen, I was like, well, yeah, pretty much you're just gonna like that whole ward now is is going <laughs> to be brought to need couriering delivery. It's
2: less unhygienic, more just plain hazardous. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I was like, <laughs> that, that, that's kind of close.
0: <laughs> I'm not too sure whether Santa Muerta would be happy to be uh, kind of compared to, like, an Uber Eats driver. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, she'd be <laughs> as, licking her chops. As the courier of souls, you know? <laughs> as, as as the fireball rips through the ward, Santa Muerta's there going, yummy, lots of souls for me today.
1: <laughs> um, I do like this idea that she... that. Maria is now the the victor frankenstein that that's something i I, I have to do, say I do like that
0: do you know what i mean i, I think I, I feel like she's messing with powers that she's yeah. not really certain like she's never asked for a child to be brought back from the dead, I presume in the past well well, so she doesn't really know what she's just asked for, i suppose uh will there be some form of payment to be paid um, yeah. I thought it was interesting that there was a crossover with one of the other scenes that was going on with a lot of death being involved. Uh, whilst uh, Maria is praying to the deity to bring back her son, we get other characters dying in the yeah. city. You know, is it is that kind of a trade off in some in yeah, some sense? That's, not that's just, not nice that Maria had any connection with for... that, but it felt like there was some connection going on in the show. Yeah. I, some people die, people like come back.
1: My personally, the way I read it was it was another hallucination, similar to the first visitation in episode one. Um right. it, yeah. it's not saying that the deity's there, not there. It's just not in physical reality
0: mm-hmm.
3: i
1: took it as that so it would be interesting to see where they do go with it
0: yeah um, and, and again this is penny dreadful so um so it's gonna take a little time to to work out what what way they're playing the show is the supernatural completely in existence like it was in the first three seasons of uh, of penny dreadful uh, or will there be things like uh, people having hallucinations and they're being explained away uh, that way. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, anything else go on in the hospital that we want to talk about before we move on to Chris's uh, big moment from the episode?
1: Nothing from me. Um A no. lot of racists. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Lots of racists. Absolutely. And hand sanitizer and disinfectant.
1: True. Everything a good pandemic needs. <laughs> exactly. So from one form of racists, let's move over to my big point and let's talk about another big group of racists. Let's talk all about see Nazis. Uh yeah, yes, we got indeed. we got two big threads of Nazism in this, I suppose. Um mm-hmm. the first, let's talk about Elsa. The German beach goer. Um mm-hmm. and of course Dr. Kraft. Uh this was an interesting one. I this at the time just didn't make sense to me. I was yeah. like, What is this scene? Like, why why it just didn't fit. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah. You're, you're, they're, they're getting closer together. They're talking more about Berlin. She's giving the sob story about Berlin and no food mm-hmm. and how um her American husband had food and that's why she went with him. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reference, which I'll let Derek call out. <laughs> Everybody
0: wants to go to Tahiti. It's a magical place. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't resist when I was watching the episode after watching Six seasons of Asian cults and talk about, or five seasons of talking about, going to Tahiti. Every time they mentioned, I'll go to Tahiti, it just felt like it had been implanted in their mind, uh, like it was uh, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I don't think there's a massive crossover between Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans <laughs> and so. Penny Dreadful fans. So maybe it was just us guys when we were watching. I think them. it was a all, nice I think knowledge. all three of us were saying it. I don't think they had any idea that it's been used <laughs> in another show maybe
2: john logan is a massive fan of agents of shield maybe. you uh,
0: never know he did write bond and yeah. shield is quite quite similar to bond he wrote three bond yeah, movies yeah, didn't he? or two bond yeah. movies so maybe he does yeah. like agents of shield yeah. exactly and um, but I, I must say in that conversation chris you know that that kind of transition between elsa and dr craft walking off talking about uh the Wind" being translated into a movie and then suddenly she goes you wouldn't want to make a movie about Berlin. You know, it's like, it's like suddenly change of direction yeah. over to talk back about, about Berlin. Cause that's what I'm really here for. I'm here to tell you that you need to stand up for the rights of Germans in America. You know, are you, or, or you need to stand up again? put on your Nazi uniform and uh, believe in in the German Reich, you know? Uh, I just think it was such a a, a great little transition moment for for her. But you know that that's why she's there. I don't care about anything else that we're talking about. I just have to get you back onto talking about Germany, you know? Yeah.
1: It was literally that. It was the, the conversation veered at least three times. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got whiplash from the scene. Is that make sense? <laughs> I was just like, Oh, okay. We're going over this way. Okay. Fine. So yeah, it, it's just, it was very okay. I'm going to flatter you. I, it, it starts to make sense a bit later. We do get two interesting things though. We get, um, they said the name of the, the, the episode title in the show. <laughs> oh my God. Where little, uh, creepy Frank says mm, dead people oh, yeah. lie down. Although I'm wondering, can Craft's son. The, the more intelligent one. Can he see through it?
2: <laughs> you mean Tom? Tom yes. Yeah, Tom. I, th- I thought that as well. I thought, um, I think at least he's unnerved by Frank. Yeah. Um, and Frank is, I'm going to call him Frankenchild. Um, mm-hmm. cause, like Tom is a little freaked out by him but it, it, it seems to be that kind of smile on his face when um, he's explaining Bogest and again the origins or the point of the movie um, around putting all the dead people standing up to, to make it look to the Arabs that there's obviously way more French Foreign Legion soldiers can, um, in, in the fort to kind mm. of scare them off effectively and he goes but dead men lie down and then he just says all dead and and he's kind of got this this smile. grin yeah. over his face, but as then, um, you know, you, you, as they're leaving, and Doctor Kraft and Elsa are saying goodbye, and um Frank is saying goodbye to Tom and Trevor. Tom is just kind of like looking at him, going, "There's something not right." And you get this moment as Elsa touches Frank. Where you know she she kind of goes evil, you know she lets the the mask slip, really, and um, so she's kind of like squinting and peering, staring at um I think it is tom yeah. i I have a feeling Tom may be in big trouble here um t- to some extent Maybe. because he doesn't quite trust frank there's something not quite right about him, and it might blow her cover, but I thought that was quite um.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. I can see Tom not wanting to play with Frank ever (laughs) again. (laughs) That look on his face was absolutely priceless. Where he's like, "Uh oh, we've got the weird kid. Can we get? Can we get rid of him somehow?" And remember, Chris. Trevor's not stupid. Trevor's just ill-informed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, Can you imagine your dad saying that about your brother in front of you? How proud you'd be that you're the smart one and your dad has told you your other brother is the stupid one and you can't learn anything. <laughs> exactly. I think that's what, you can imagine how, how happy you'd be. Well, but, Tom wears uh,
2: glasses, you see. Yeah. Um, Trevor doesn't. Exactly, exactly. Because Trevor's got the modern kind of swim suit on mm-hmm. for men, whereas Tom has still got the male bathing yeah. suit, um, which yeah. a few of them had. I think I could actually rock one of those <laughs> um, on a beach to to be honest cuz it would kind of just hide some of my imperfections uh, of my body well we are in quarantine La- at like the at moment, my massive so we get goes. you
1: a little paddling pool at the back and we can have Costa Del harrison down the back you know and just costadel like, <laughs> uh, swimsuit uh, al- swim <laughs>
0: i like it uh one one pause uh one kind of side note there john i did love that as we're talking about this show john went and then obviously they talk about bogest and they talk about this thing about the uh about them standing up the dead people Beaugest is a movie from 1939 that i am guaranteeing none of the, three of the three of us have actually yeah, seen. No, so, we haven't. So your use of obviously there is one of the reasons why we don't use obviously on TV podcast industries because we have never heard that movie before. But weirdly, two characters <laughs> in the show exactly. talk about it. Uh, Lewis Michener talks about it with, um, with Diego, uh, which I thought was really interesting that two different characters would talk about uh, this movie that we hadn't heard of. Um, it must be. It must have been a movie that came out around the time it came out in 1939. But the show's set in 38. I'm sure that doesn't matter. There is a reason they're talking about this particular movie in the show. There has to be a reason why uh, why Bojest is the reference point for two different characters at the same time. I think it's to do with the fact that Rel is a dead man standing at the end of the episode. But will we see all of the dead standing by the end of the series against? the enemy, the, uh, the racists in the city, the Nazis in the city, will all the dead rise again by the end of the series. Again, another little supernatural, penny dreadful thing popping into my head.
2: Well, I, th- I think the two points of it is that, and I think you really see that Frank is Magda here as well, mm-hmm. because when he says this, um, they're all dead, that intimate uh, relationship with her sister Santa Muerta and the souls, like she's absolutely in tune with that. And I think, that is the the thing that's why i think when elsa touches him and obviously we know that he um sort of terminated two morphs back into her that mm-hmm. actually frank is magda as well that yeah. she can take other forms maybe well that's that's my kind of view yeah. uh, on it and it relates to Raul in that setting whereas for Meechner um what you're really getting is that he he talks about it being a calm it, it's this allusion to the arabs to um stop them from attacking because there's only three foreign legion uh soldiers left mm-hmm. and that's in 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 the in the the context of um the joyful voices ministry uh that they're being conned here and um, from from miss adelaide mm-hmm. but uh I, I thought I, – I suppose with the Bo Jess movie, I've not necessarily seen it, but there's other movies where that kind of thing has happened. I, I think the one with Michael Caine in South Africa with the Boer War, whatever. Like, Zulu? Zulu. That kind of idea of trying to show that there's more people than there actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Carry On – legionnaires
0: or whatever
1: <laughs> uh, don't Carry they kind of do don't
2: they do that or something <laughs> yeah. I
0: think Um well, one other touch from the Wikipedia entry about Bouges that I learned was that the three people that are alive in the French Legion are all three brothers as well so the three brothers joined together in the foreign legion in that movie so another little little thing uh, yeah, from the, the, the Wikipedia entry because I didn't get time to watch the, like the, the, the three, three Vega
2: brothers like that may be Vegas. a
0: symbol okay nice perhaps.
1: perhaps. Uh, yeah no I, I do think that's really interesting but yeah, they, they did knock it on the head a bit. It's like, have you seen this film? Oh my God. It's about these dead people and they, they stack them up. And then it's exactly. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah. Okay. This is something that we need to research mm-hmm. a bit more. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I did, I did want to move it on, uh, slightly because there is one additional point about Dr. Craft that we need to bring up. And obviously Elsa is that, uh, not just, she is not just a beach goer. She is a dream goer, an imagination goer, mm-hmm. a, um, Or just in general um this we do get this scene and now we briefly discussed it off air so i want to see what everyone thinks we'll we'll put it out to the audience so Hmm. my take on this scene is that um dr craft is essentially imagining elsa there in place of his wife um, yeah, that's how I took it. To be yeah, honest, yes, it's basically fantasy. He's starting to fantasize about her. Um, he gets into it a bit too much through the fantasy. Uh, begins to um, asphyxiate his wife, um, mm. who at the end of it does not like that, and basically says, "You don't do that to me ever again. Uh, like, don't treat me like I believe something along the lines of a a slapper or a, a, a term." From the 1930s. She's
0: effectively saying, Don't treat me like a hooker yes. from the certain street where hookers would have been around in LA. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm your wife. I'm not to be treated like yeah. that. Yeah. And and for me, the way, the, what instantly came back into my mind was one of the major characters, or the major character from the original Penny Dreadful, uh, one of the central parts of her. I suppose challenges throughout the three seasons is every single time she had sex, it ended off badly. Um the first time she had, well, the second time, I think she had sex, it was a possession of, uh, of a demon while she was having sex. So, that suddenly popped up in my head. I was kind of going, maybe this is something else that Magda is doing. Maybe Magda has actually projected herself into the body of Mrs. Craft and she is actually there for that moment. Maybe that's what's happened here. Maybe it's not just his imagination. It's actually her beaming herself into this, in into the body of his wife, and um, so they are actually having sex for a split second. Uh, in his mind, or what's going on? It's another way to control uh, Doctor Kraft. Another way to push her, him towards leaving his wife and going with her, kind yeah. of thing. You know, there yeah. it can it can be imagination as as you guys thought. it Absolutely, could be. But all I keep thinking the whole time is, this is Penny Dreadful. This isn't just That's a show true. called City of Angels. Yeah. So it's such a it's such a close reference to some of the things that happen throughout throughout the original three series you know that there was that moment with Vanessa Ives having sex with uh, dorian gray where she gets possessed by yeah. a demon while having sex uh with dorian gray you know and
2: with this... mina's uh fiance that causes mm-hmm. the first possession and yeah. yeah so i mean sex isn't always quite uh as uh simple it's very
0: complicated in, in the penny dreadful so, world i mean although when... that says the beginning of that scene with dr his wife actually having sex oh yeah sex it is was the most simple sex yes exactly <laughs> that was i was, like, was like oh god yeah. While we we're, were watching uh watching the very uh, awkward. Yeah, we're watching the live tweet going on for, for other fans of the show at the time, and everybody as the scene started was like, Oh, please don't show us that kind of sex scene on television. Nobody wants to see the unsexy sex scene on television. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's it, it's funny though, when you when you
2: say that, you know, it's absolutely possible that this is more than just simply um Elsa in Dr. Kraft's head. Mm-hmm. And I think when saw it second time and I, I, the first time I just thought it was a really great creative choice because he touches his wife's hair and it's like a wisp of grey or, or light blonde yeah. coming into it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, she, her features s- slowly, um, change into Elsa. And I thought, okay, that, that, that felt maybe a little more, you know, almost like the, evil cloud coming into her in in that Mm. sense you know like you you would see in supernatural when they kill a demon that Mm -hmm. kind of the smoke in in a sense so i i just wondered whether um yeah it it could absolutely be right i wonder if the the proof of the pudding of this will be whether he has scratches
0: on his back and the day
2: the following day,
0: yeah, yeah, I did think that that was a very, it was very highlighted as well—the yeah. scratches of her nails on his back, no. you know. So uh, that's not something his wife would do. So, well, uh, potentially, if, if, see if she
1: was choking her,
0: yes. so yeah, yeah. scratching, thing, she'd be punching, like, yeah. scratching,
1: get off me. <laughs> um, I, I thought, I thought this was interesting. Look, so I'm still trying to figure out where they're fully going. Like you said, if, mm-hmm. is it just like rise the Nazi party up in in America? To is mm-hmm. it, take your role as leader of the Nazis in America, um, because we do know that already there is a prominent Nazi group with mm-hmm. Gestapo in there, whereas Doctor Kraft seems to be more boots on the ground face of like public face of Nazism. Yeah, um,
0: he's, he's more the uh, he's more the political party side of it than the luger in hand um, <laughs> kind of boots on the ground army yes. guys. Yes, spinach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But so it would be interesting to see where they, they finally go with this. Um.
0: And I think it's important to remember as well, like, like we talked about in the first episode, this, these are all Magda's creations, and Magda is pushing everybody to a massive battle that will wipe out humanity. That's effectively what she's trying to do. So while this is Elsa trying to push Dr. Kraft in one direction, she doesn't really care if the Nazis rise in America. She's She knows that she needs this person in this place to set up something that will lead to a much bigger outcome for Magda and all of the parts that she's playing.
2: That's true. And all these people are pawns Mm -hmm. in in the... The highest spiritual games being, uh, played between Magda and her sister Santomoto. It, it almost feels like the, the classic, uh, Greek myth films from, from the, the fifties, uh, and the sixties where you have Zeus and, and, all the gods toying with man, uh-huh. uh, doing their thing. Um, that's, I think, yeah, it's important to remember that the, this thing is going on as well. they yeah. actually, Probably other than maybe Maria Vega, the, the others are absolutely unaware of. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria is the one that's tuned into this world. Yeah. Um, you know, again, that great line, uh, from the first episode where she says, you know, are you going to leave your bitch sister to take control of the world? You know, intervene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that's, um,
0: yeah, it's, it's definitely something to, to, keep in the back of exactly, the mind exactly that's why the question of has Santa whereas intervened intervene now or not uh that's that was the big question at the end of the episode uh chris back to you sorry
1: yeah so let's move it on to um continue our theme of nazis um and more about uh, kind of nazi hunting in this case mm-hmm. with detective mitchner who we had theorized is jewish and yes, mm-hmm. so we get confirmation that him and a collection of other Jews are mm-hmm. uh, Nazi hunting in L.A. Um, and following the Nazis. Uh, it is yes. very much a, I got huge thematic kind of, there's an Amazon show we discussed previously called mm-hmm. Hunters, uh, but this, that's set in the like 1970s. Uh, yep. So obviously this is the the, the precursor to that. Um, well,
0: yeah. And it's pre-World War II, remember yeah. as well. So th- you know, this is, this is something talking about Jewish people in America being fully aware of what the Nazi party will be doing to Jews in, in Europe and could possibly be doing to Jewish people in America as well. So, um, I, I really like seeing. This playing out on screen you know this this idea that it wasn't you know something that nobody was aware of no that was exactly. going on in in europe it's something that jewish people were fully aware that they were being persecuted by germans and by the nazi party at the, at the time
2: yeah and it's important to remember that a lot of the anti-jewish laws in germany were already in place here it, it as you say um the that the nazi regime was implementing elements of its its uh final solution no there weren't the uh, the the um, extermination camps mm-hmm. like Auschwitz but there were the the work camps i can't remember the name but you know they had been established where jewish political prisoners and um, trade unionists and, and so on were being put uh even before the outbreak of uh the second world war and of course the laws saying that um Jewish uh, people couldn't own businesses mm-hmm. and, and effectively marginalizing them in society um were, were already in effect in, in Germany yeah. so for um for Jews and a lot of Jews outside of Germany were helping um you know family members uh, to to get out okay. of Germany yeah. um and certainly would push back against that Nazi influence in somewhere like America. Mm-hmm. Um so it it's yeah, it's 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 a really interesting I like this Hunter thing. Um I called them the Betty Davis Quartet. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> yeah. I really like these four. Um I I wish this four had survived the night, oh, to be honest, yeah. Um in, in the, 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 the quartet, because I just felt their pitter-patter uh, in the car whilst they were sort of tailing um her goss was great. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's a shame that they don't, because the quartet becomes a double act very quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested to see where they are going with this whole kind of piece of it, because we do see... Michener tail this other new German, um, kind of spy. And he goes back to Caltech to the physics department mm. where there's explosive materials and hazardous materials available. And I'm like, I'm trying to do the math in my head going Manhattan right. Project was nowhere near at that point. Um, <laughs> nope. so I'm like, where are they? What hmm. is that again? Back to Magda's see the world burn. It's like, is he mm-hmm. trying to set off the atomic bomb? like years earlier.
2: Yeah, it could be because the Manhattan Project came from something. It didn't just was it wasn't just a new, I- you know, this idea of um standing on the shoulders of giants and it is a physics lab. So yeah. certainly um it it could be the the theory and technology of nuclear fusion that the the Nazis are trying to tap into yeah. from the American research base here. Yeah. Um for, for sure, absolutely. That's yeah,
0: such a quick scene, though. Like we had to watch the the part twice just to see if there was anything there from the kid uh, as he goes into the physics department. We can't tell whether he's crying, laughing, frustrated yeah. about what he's being asked to do. It's a very, very short amount of time we spend with the kid but I'm sure that's something that's going to come out in future episodes but uh, but you're wondering whether he's being pressured into joining the Nazis and following them just like uh, the, the councilman was last week um, you know using some of his beliefs to get him incorporated and working for the Nazi party uh, even though he may not want to go against America you know um, but uh, yeah I love the scenes with these with these four characters uh, the Jewish hunters I love just even from uh, Richard Kind who's the, the big guest star from the episode the one that really stood out I love him in the back seat kind of going and you think some retired, uh, some some old age pensioners like us are going to be the ones that are going to stop the fourth Reich. You know? <laughs> Love the kind of pressure they're putting on themselves to be the ones, the saviors of uh, of Jewish people in America. I think it's a really interesting one.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of threads in this episode. Mm. And I'm yeah. curious how they're going to thread them all together. And I think that's like, as, as podcasters, it's, as we discuss these episodes, we usually try and find the themes to pull mm-hmm. the review points to, together. And, To be fair, I had to literally just kind of jokingly put together some Germans and the Nazis together to to discuss two major points because the threads really don't interconnect right now. Mm. So I'm interested to see how they will connect. And that's kind of, it's that big, that's the more lingering question I have. So the how.
0: Yeah. And I think keeping in mind, as we mentioned, as we were talking about, keeping in mind that overall plan of uh, of magda and whether santa muerta will get involved and stop magda's plan i think keeping that in mind because all of this stuff is is interesting historical things that were going on in america that are playing out but there will come a point where it will all fuse together to be what this particular show is about and we got eight more episodes so loads of time for that to happen. yeah
2: I think one of the lines as well from uh, so it's Sam Sam Bloom and Anton Shevik, uh are the two that follow um, her goss and the Gestapo agent Kurt uh, and unfortunately are sort of uh, asa- have murdered. The, um I, I wonder if Tiago and Mechner are going to investigate that certainly because obviously they're they're Miechner's friends. Oh, yeah. um, uh, but I do like the skepticism from Sam Bloom here. Where outside of the cinema, he goes, uh, we're a bunch of old Jews. Are we going to stop the Nazi infiltration of America? Um, We should be playing Canasta. (laughs) I kind of like the fact that he's like, what are we doing doing this? But he's still up to do it because... None of them trust the feds, none of them trust the police, and they don't trust the army, mm-hmm. and ultimately uh, they get themselves murdered uh, by probably driving a little too close. A, a little? Like, if <laughs> yeah. someone was
0: driving that close to you on a normal road, even if they weren't following you, you'd stop Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like, hey, what are you doing? Off. <laughs> You're kind of thinking, you know, Sam, maybe you should have brought your glasses uh, so you wouldn't have been this close to the car in front of <laughs> yeah. you, you know? <laughs> um, but it, yeah,
2: I, I love these, I love these four, um, in that little scene, so it was very cool mm-hmm.
1: yeah so that's all kind of my points Derek I do believe it's time to bring in the final your big point for this episode
0: <laughs> well I really wanted to talk about Sister Molly in this episode because we kind of mentioned last episode the uh that there was some kind of connection to the murder you know the murder was kind of almost secondary when we talked about the ep- episode one uh, but it is a major kind of uh, jumping off point for all of these characters as to what's going on you know um so we have Tiago investigating the murder of the Hazlitts with, uh, with Michener, and it leads them to Sister Molly. Um, we'd mentioned in the last episode on the wall in the Hazlitt household, uh, they had a, a massive painting of Sister Molly, so they're part of her religion. Uh, she's this radio presenter, uh, broadcasting all the way across America, um, which made us wonder whether she was going to be another evil character for the show. And it seems like in this episode, Sister Molly is not an innocent, but she's certainly a sweet character who's uh who is very easily able to wrap tiago into um her beliefs in a way he's she's almost convincing him to uh relook at his belief in god um yeah. which i think is is an interesting point that comes out of their conversation you know uh she's she asks him does he have the grace to believe in god before trying to save Roll, uh his brother who's dying you know because she wasn't able to find that grace when she was trying to save a young boy she was actually saying she hope he she hopes he passes on so he can go to heaven with god and um, which is not what people were expecting her to do they're expecting you know someone like sister molly to cure people who are sick and bring them back uh whereas she was kind of saying well you know heaven's the place we all want to get to so maybe we should send this child off to heaven um and then ended off going home and cutting her wrists afterwards. It's a really interesting conversation because it feels like there are moments within it where she's talking about, you know, superstardom or stardom and fame, where she's saying this was all pushed on me because yeah. my mother had me doing this at four years old. And eventually, I think that the the words she uses, eventually, the spiritual side came to me. Yeah. Not that she was spiritual from the age of four. It's that exactly. eventually after doing this over and over again, the belief or At least the spiritual, whether she believes or not, not sure, but at least the spiritual side came towards her. And again, my final big Penny Dreadful type moment for me, there's a moment as Sister Molly is introduced to the crowd where she's introduced with she only has a song and a smile to fight off the demons. Is that the, the way they say it? And she's standing at the microphone backstage And there's almost a moment where it looks like she's channeling a spirit. It does look like she is actually being possessed by something to go on stage because she just raises up, the smile comes in her face. And I don't know whether that was intentional or whether it is because I'm watching it from the Penny Dreadful mindset. But I was seriously going, is she channeling an actual spirit into her body? Maybe, yeah. Is this another deity possibly that she is presenting to the world through her voice because she even says and i know it's a very famous thing to say it's a very famous person that thinks to say she even says to diego my name's molly sister molly is the one on the stage that's not me i'm this person here talking to you right now that almost feels like there's an actual supernatural element to sister molly It could be.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I I think we have to see a little more. I mean, in in some respects, I was more in the WWE moment where you have the announcer. This was kind of like the Royal Rumble of church service, (laughs) um, which I thought was fascinating because it it would be how you would do it. I I thought it was... like he, actually, he says your righteous sister Molly in our battle with Satan armed with only a smile and a song mm-hmm. your own sister Molly um, and then it comes on stage but it was proper Royal Rumble uh, <laughs> yes. sort of wrestler introduction here I suppose yeah. she is wrestling with the forces of evil so <laughs> and, darkness, um, yes. and darkness but uh,
0: I, I I like how that played yeah. for me um, and it's a reason it, it's a close to true story as well the character <laughs> uh, is based on Amy Semple McPherson who was a massive personality back in this time um she she ran for a number of years uh, some mysterious things happened to her that I'm not going to talk about in the podcast uh, some some uh, things happened that may have a supernatural element to them let's let's, okay. uh, let's say that but uh, there is there is a real character who was someone that used um entertainment and songs uh popular songs of the time to get across the idea of uh, of worshiping god the song that uh that sister molly sings in here is i can't get started by ella fitzgerald which would have been you know ella fitzgerald's fantastic a major song i suppose at the time uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of the of the sister act um, movie with uh, <laughs> with Whoopi Goldberg, where they took soul music and turned it into songs of worship to God. That changed yeah, kind of like gospel and, almost. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I actually took soul songs rather yeah. than gospel yeah. songs and turned them into worshipful songs of God. So I think Sister Bally's doing something similar here, doing with with Elvis where she's talking. I, I just can't get started with you, and it's about God. It's about this uh, this translation of uh, of this guy trying to find God on Earth, and uh, and that's what she's channeling through the song you
3: know yeah so, like I,
0: yeah it's an it's an interesting like inspiration
2: I, I really liked how molly's motives were pretty complex that you know she in some ways felt or maybe even still feels like a fraud because mm-hmm. of this idea of doing it so early at the age of four and it kind of you know certainly for for la it connects into that idea of the child star yeah. this you know she's a child star of radio evangelism touring mm-hmm. country and so yeah she's doing what her her mum is telling her to do um and it's almost like well can i do i want to do this can i do this in my own right moving forward maybe child actors have you know where child actors played for the cutesy part well when puberty hits is it still the cutesy part or do they have no interest in acting you know and they do something else. Yeah. So uh, I liked how it, that all connects in, but I liked her complexity about that. Speaking of may the fourth be with you and um, this idea that maybe she is the religious Jedi master that Adds that spark, identifies in Tiago his his own power and connection to Mm -hmm. what his mother has. And as you say, maybe kicks that off, I think, um, could be really, really interesting. I even just wondered whether there may just be a good old fashioned romantic spark between the two.
0: Um, Oh, that's that's certainly, that could be quite interesting. That's certainly there. And there's definitely some Romeo and Juliet type of vibes with her mother. You know, we have to talk about Miss Adeline and Randolph, uh, the bouncer. Miss Adeline. (laughs) is such a great character from the first moment we see her on screen but you get the impression here that she's responsible for the death of the Hazlitt family and that means she's the one that created this uh tableau of the four murdered hazlets looking like they had the day of the dead makeup and the uh, and the spanish written on the wall to blame mexicans effectively like we hear some racist language coming out of her when she's talking to Lewis Mitcher, when, when Miss Adeline's talking to Lewis Mitchner, when she finally has enough of his investigation effectively. So I suppose the relationship between Sister Molly and Tiago, if it is being set up that the two of them will meet again in the future, there's definitely that, uh, two different houses, both opposed, uh, in the land of, of fair, uh, la yeah <laughs> I, I, I i'm thought, not very good on my Shakespeare post- I thought she was post-out. excellent I thought yeah. she was a real force um
2: although given that she uh, is you know a founder of uh, the joyful voices ministry she mm-hmm. didn't look very joyful no. uh, at <laughs> all and I, I loved her interaction with the detective Michener with mm-hmm. Lewis Michener Um, I loved that he wasn't taking any shit and he he, he was kind of both playing her and winding her up mm-hmm. um all the way through, uh, that, that. Like interview, off the cuff interview. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was really good.
0: Um, sort of back and forth between the oh, two. Absolutely. Even like Lewis's first line with her. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Communing with God, right? Grant. Let's let's just move on. You <laughs> know, it's yeah. like, yeah. I get this is this is your excuse for me not seeing your daughter, right? Let's just move on to the next. thing. And just- but Adeline is so good at avoiding questions. It's something that she's that you can really tell she's kind of done this many times before. Maybe not with the police, but definitely with interviews she's had. The past, you know, Siego's asking her the question, Does he, does, uh, Haslett have an office here? Did he have an office here? And she goes, He has an office down, uh, down the other side of town. Leave here and go down and investigate that. And then they push again and go, Does Hazlitt have an office here? And she goes, Well, yes, but the public aren't allowed into it. You know, uh, I love how, how she's not actually lying. She's telling them a version of the truth all the way through until, uh, eventually, um, Lewis puts it together and says, with the amount that she's hiding, I know for definite a Mexican was not responsible for the death of the Hazlitts here. And now we need to prove who it was. So uh, I love that interaction between all of them. And we do end off the episode, really, that that storyline with Sister Molly. We end off those moments with Adeline finally arriving, seeing Tiago with uh, Sister Molly, taking Molly away and saying now, if he is ever to speak to her again, it has to be through their lawyers. So... Yeah, there's definitely going to be a romantic relationship between the two of them behind the back of uh, of Miss Adeline in the future. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I do think Miss Adeline is going to be end up being the the devil, if if you will, the, the okay. demon in that. Um, I'd love I'd love it to be Miss Sister Molly. Like Sister Molly is actually a demon or okay is evil. Like she's doing the whole uh, Senator Palpatine type. <laughs> and it's like oh, sweetie, 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 because you, you yeah. said. That scene where Tiago is looking at her and she's sitting mm-hmm. down and then all of a sudden the smog, as the curtains come up, the smog comes up. Yeah. That just, it just seemed so rehearsed, so fake. So, And that scene, it's the same with the scene where she's pressing him and he's answering her questions, but at the same time she's asking him questions. So like, yeah. do you believe in God? Well, no. And I think like that that then potentially just... Drives her to go. Hmm. Well, maybe we have a convert. Uh, it is a cult, so it's it's definitely going to be interesting. A parishioner. Um, yeah. But let's wait and see. I, I, I'm interested to see where this one goes. Yeah. I, I, I think
2: so. I think she's, um, I just loved how that kind of the nastiness of her, you know, it looks like she's handing the card to Tiago at the end and then just flicks it on the ground at him. And it's, yeah, speak through, um, our, our lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. So the, the, there's definitely, you know, she, it's almost like she got the shackles up on Detective Michener and like he was like, that i i've got to at least see whether she did do it whether she did it or not yeah. <laughs> it kind of doesn't matter and yeah. um, and maybe there's again other forces at play on miss adelaide uh or molly on, on, on this why it, or, or is it something to do with the money because we do see a lot of cha-ching oh, yeah. going on in the back room wow it certainly um, made me want to start up a ministry i know absolutely <laughs> uh
0: let's let let's uh yeah, let's sell snake oil. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, speaking of uh, of Miss Adelaide, uh, this just in, I've been pronouncing her Adeline for most of the episode. Uh, apologies about that. This what this is what happens at the start of a podcast where we're doing a show that has multiple or a multitude of characters. I always get at least one of their names wrong. So Miss Adelaide is as uh, Sister Molly's mother. Well, uh, i yeah.
2: Well, I've been calling Detective. Michna, Michna,
0: Mechna, Mm -hmm. like, so I'm (laughs) I'm all over the place. We will get there as the season goes on, the more we spend time with these characters. (laughs) Uh, But that was kind of it uh, for my discussion or my points about Sister Molly in the episode, that she's not evil, it seems, at least. Uh, And maybe Miss Miss Adelaide is the one that's evil, uh, that we'll we'll see a bit more of in the future. But I kind of like the introduction of the character. It's a very, uh, it's a, a really interesting character to have. On the other side, Tiago seems like he's been separated from his family a bit by what happened with Raul. So maybe having a, a shoulder to cry on with uh, with Sister Molly will be uh, a, a different avenue to explore uh, as the series goes on. Yeah. Any notes about the episode that we haven't discussed so far?
1: I got all my in as we discuss the yep. episode.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. have to say... Uh, my favorite moment from the episode is probably the intro for Fly Rica. I really, really enjoyed his introduction. Yeah. And it's another really interesting thing that I can't wait to hear about uh, as the series goes on a bit more about the younger characters in uh, in L.A. and the younger Mexicans, the second generation or first genera- generation immigrants um, yeah. that are living in L.A. and are American citizens. You know, and I'm really intrigued to find out much more about those characters. I think we're going to explore that through Mateo and, and Fly Rica as the series goes on.
2: Yeah, and also Fly Rico, uh, along with Richard Kind, who plays Sam Bloom, were both in uh, Gotham uh, as well that we covered. Um, I didn't recognize um, Rico, the actor from Gotham, but I think he's one of the gang members uh, in the final season. Mm. So a little bit of uh, sort of touch points with some of our previous podcasting.
0: Well, five years of our previous podcasting, John. Actually, Richard Kind (laughs) was so good on Gotham. He was (laughs) hilarious and supposed to be very serious on the show. But uh, I can't forget uh, the five months he spent in a box uh, on that show because (laughs) uh, I'm not sure whether they could get him to come down to the studio to record his part because he was doing loads of other stuff at the time and they had him in a box uh, just kind of calling out words occasionally. Uh, (laughs) I loved him on that show. Yeah, and that's why it's a shame he got uh, bumped off, Mm -hmm. actually, by
2: Kurt the Evil guy. Starpo person. Yeah. Um yeah, my my only other two notes were um I there was no real theme tune uh coming into this. So yes. the first episode kind of brought us straight into the action really. And I was thinking there may be an opening credit sequence just because the theme tune from the first three episodes is, is kind of so iconic mm-hmm. um but th- they've not really gone down that that road it, it seems that it's really just a very brief opener here with not the same kind of opening sequence as um seasons one to three of penny yeah. dreadful so uh, that was just something i i kind of
0: noted because it was one that we didn't skip for the entire three seasons we watched yeah. that that opener every single episode it's just so it's good. interesting it's not there anymore especially in a show that has no outbreaks either there's yeah. you know it's straight from it's it's a straight one hour from uh, from when it airs to to when it ends you know so to not have a theme tune uh seems like an odd choice in the show you know we've got quite a good uh, joe pukaski who does the music for the show is quite a good composer so it, it's just a surprise that we don't have a theme tune uh, yeah I,
2: I so really again it was just something i kind of <laughs> spotted and um, I really like Natalie Dormer on on the beach. There was a moment um, where she's speaking English, but with the noun and <laughs> verb uh, the other way around. Uh, as uh, which is 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 is, you know is how the germans would speak uh, when she's talking about her husband mr branson and how you know she really only just connected to him because he had food and they were starving from their time Mm -hmm. uh, after the world war one in berlin but that even in his uniform um he, he was still fat and that's why he's not at the beach is because um his body he doesn't like um instead of saying enclosed spaces um it's space encloses um mm-hmm. which i just thought was a really nice uh, intonation was just really uh nicely done there yeah, i thought that 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 really, to me, sold a German lady learning English and still kind of just getting the, um, you know, speaking naturally uh, as she
0: would think through German. So um, those little touches uh, are are nice, I think. I think after after the two of us lived in Switzerland for two and a half years, you know, we lived very close to the German border. So we met a lot of German people and their their English is far better than my German. uh, Absolutely. Without a doubt. But those little touches that both Rory Kinnear and Natalie Dormer bring out in in a, an American or a, a German person trying to speak American English where they're just slightly getting tense is confused because German is a very Straightforward language in comparison to English. We have a lot of. Um, it's very structured. It's very exactly. It's a very structured language in comparison to English. A lot of things that we say in English don't uh, don't translate directly into German, but a lot of German words translate absolutely directly into English. But you need to flip tenses sometimes. Uh, so I, I thought it was a really good nod to uh, to uh, German speaking English. Uh, and,
2: yeah. and it's kind of
0: endearing, even though she is the mother of evil. Yeah. It was like mm, that's endearing, exactly. Like you would expect that they would probably speak German to each other. Yeah, but they're gonna try english with each other
1: <laughs> i have to say i do really like the accents and the, the dialect coach obviously they they were given is fantastic just for even mm-hmm. those little bits but unfortunately i've been destroyed by bbc german kind of like hello hello and uh, <laughs> dad's army and uh black Adder and
0: they were all played for comedy exactly grids, more, so it's uh, just that i have the comedic <laughs>
1: german accent in my head Mm-hmm. And that's just, it all sometimes overlays on top of this. So I just automatically, I do hear the very comedic German accent being overlaid. Um, mm-hmm. so I just, for me, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I think they're doing a fantastic job. It's just, <laughs> I've been, I've been ruined by other. British German accents. Let's put it that there way. You go. That's the best way to end <laughs>
0: on that. I love it. I love it. Um, that's it for our discussion about Petty Dreadful City Visuals episode two, Dead People Lie Dead. We forgot to do it last week. Really sorry. It was the first episode of a new show. I did get uh, John to uh, re record uh, his final thoughts about the episode and give it a score. So uh, overall, Chris, let's give it to you. What did you think of this episode overall?
1: Um overall I it's the weakest of the two. Uh, of course, there's two, so it has, one has to be 50, better 50 than 000. the other. <laughs> um, no, it, it, uh, they took the, the pedal off the, the gas. Uh, we could, we sped through the first episode, and it was an mm-hmm. adrenaline-filled. It was rush of brush blood to the heads. Any other uh, themes I can kind of title tracks I can put in here? I it, think the word trope is what you're looking for. There we go. Thank <laughs> you. Um, it was almost like I forgot my own trope. Um, anyway... I think they, they, they went heavy on exposition on this, so I'm going to mm-hmm. reserve a lot of judgment until I see episode three. Yeah. If episode yeah. three is still at the same pace and same uh, stopping to smell the roses, almost, uh, like mm-hmm. I, I think <laughs> I will start to get annoyed uh, or at least disin- <laughs> disinterested in some of the plot points. Okay. Um, okay. I want to see where it goes on episode three. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'm holding, I'm reserving judgment. Uh, yeah. If we are stock ranking, one is better than two. Right, um,
0: that's <laughs> not stack rank, that's going to be really difficult to keep a track yeah, of exactly. as we go on through the episode. One is better than
1: eight, then it's better than three. Then no. <laughs>
0: exactly. Um, yeah, it's one long narrative, right? So,
1: yes. uh, So let's see how it goes. So, uh, John, what do you think of this episode of Penny Jeffel?
2: In our battle with episode one and episode two, I give this four Royal Rumble Church service announcers out of five. Interesting. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's a bit higher than I thought you were going Yeah,
2: I I think watching it a second time helps mm-hmm. um for sure. Because I like the character development and so there's a lot of stuff. I think all the scenes in the hospital are just like a really great way of just in in a nutshell capturing um, all these different tensions going on in the society, which I thought was done really well, mm-hmm. just from Thiago seeing those dead Mexicans in the the closet oh, room, yeah. um, and and seeing you know comparing that to the the the, lady, the the cop's wife, um, and how they were treated. I mean, even just the dismissal from the doctor. Well, he's only got two days. Well, is that because he's only got two days, or well, we need the ventilator for someone else who's more important, mm-hmm. um. Uh, and and also with the vega yeah, sure. family um i i loved um getting introduced to the uh, joyful voices ministry uh, which certainly looking at the, the the slapped face of miss adelaide um she looks anything but joyful but like, she was f-
0: money pouring in i heart. know
2: <laughs> she, she she must be on cloud 9 but mm. she she looks anything but and but she's this was great i i loved Coming into that, I love the skepticism of uh, Lewis Michener. I loved the interaction between Tiago and and Molly and seeing that maybe she's uh, this more complex uh, child star of radio evangelism Mm -hmm. um, than than, than simply just a sweet cotton candy um, girl with an evil dark molasses type heart you know so i i really like that and uh yeah what can i say the betty davis quartet i loved and it's a real shame that yeah, they've become a duo now um, yeah. with uh, Dottie and, and
0: uh, Lewis still left. I didn't um, feel like Dottie was as involved as even the other two where she was much more involved in her crossword puzzle. Than she, yeah, <laughs> she was much more
2: engaged them. with that for yeah. sure. Uh, I did like how she looked up from the paper, put her glasses on yeah. as um, her goss uh, came out of the the bar or wherever mm-hmm. they were downtown.
0: But yeah. um, Craven. Craven is the sixth word. Yeah, right.
2: and... It did take the, the fuss off the gas pedal, I think, a bit for me. And, uh, it, it, on first viewing, I was like, Oh, I don't know about this. Um, but second viewing, I, I kind of got into it a bit more, you know, and I, I like the theme of this Bogest movie, um, kind of sort of threading its way into both the, the distrust that Michener has for the joyful voices church, uh, as well as, um, uh, creepy Frankenchild, uh, Frank Branson, um, and, and the, again, the, the freaked out Tom. I thought that was, um, really good. As mm-hmm. I say, I think Tom's potentially in trouble, uh, and, uh, I, I, I liked all that. I suppose the one, one thing I, maybe it's just because it's so kind of, present at the moment with everything that's going on but i suppose with townsend exploiting the situation uh kind of driven by the whispers of alex's advisor it was fine absolutely uh but i suppose in in this day and age that kind of um exploiting um division through a particular event seems like um
0: Old hat at this stage, so I, I was like, oh, okay. But it's not exploiting the dead cops, John. It's honouring I know exactly. The community. Yeah, exactly. And yes, you know, John Logan has been very, very open that this show is about 2020. It's not about 1938. You know, this is a a supernatural show set in 1938 but it's absolutely about the kind of things that have been going on in the world over the last uh three or four years and are still going on right now even in the world of a pandemic so absolutely uh, yeah. yeah yeah and i i think finally i i,
2: I do like the tantalizing potential of raul uh whether he's alive or whether he's somehow controlled by santa Muerta or santa Marta taking physical form mm-hmm. or whether it's just a vision um elsa and creepy frank child <laughs> um connecting in um and, and this idea that maybe that sex scene you know there's a lot of tantalizing supernatural elements here which i really want them to develop um really? i suppose yeah. um and, and make a little bit more upfront uh, for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah great uh so and then i do believe it is derek derek what did you think of this episode
0: you know, I kind of agree with John. The first time I watched the episode and, and yourself, Chris, first time I watched the episode, I I, I was kind of going, oh, this is a, this is a lot. It's it's it is a slow episode, but we're only episode two. You know, these are all new characters. I'm getting names of characters wrong still. You know, so I need some time spent with each of these characters. But when I watched the episode with my Penny Dreadful glasses on going um I don't actually have Penny Dreadful glasses, but uh, with (laughs) that mindset of this is a Penny Dreadful show and I saw the amount of elements of the show that could be supernatural uh, as the series goes on, it definitely gave me a better perspective on the show. I actually really enjoyed this uh, the second time watching it, but it did make me – I'm not going to pull this out in the future and just watch episode two of this series because it doesn't belong as one of those episodes. It's not one of those episodes of TV that you go, watch episode two, you'll love this series. It's something that's going to form into the narrative of of the series. And it gives me a lot of hope that there's some good seeds being planted here in this first episode, particularly with what's going on with uh, with Magda's various versions with Alex and with uh, yeah. with Elsa and what they're doing and their kind of manipulations. But I'm really intrigued by what happened at the end with Maria and Santa and Santa Marta. Did Maria just call on? The supernatural to bring back her dead son or her dying son uh, to life? Did she just use a massive power? She uh, better. To bring back, uh, bring back somebody that shouldn't be in this world effectively. So, uh, will that call back the uh, biggest mistake of Victor Frankenstein, bringing somebody back from the dead. So uh, so I'm intrigued, definitely, after watching this a couple of times, but it did take definitely that second watch um, to enjoy it more. Um, So we'll see. We'll see. I, I think when the series is complete, it's ten full episodes. When it's complete, probably a watch through of the full show knowing how it all pans out will probably make a bit more sense of areas that we thought were slower or I hope it does anyway. I have A lot of trust in John Logan after the three seasons of the first series that he wrote. So
2: yeah, definitely. I I mean, just as well, I think I would have probably given it Mm 3.5 out of uh, five At at the first watch. Right. But I think the second watch, and I always find with our discussions with me, you and Chris that, um, you know, it just pulls other things out. Mm-hmm. So, uh,
0: yeah. That's a good thing. That's why we podcast. Exactly. Let's get on to your thoughts about this episode of Penny Dreadful. We're going to go on to feedback. If you want to send in any thoughts to us, we record on Mondays after the episodes have aired. Uh, send in your thoughts to feedback at TV Podcast Industries. Or join us over in our Facebook group where we put up a spoiler post every week on facebook.com slash groups slash TV Podcast Industries. And we'll give you a penny for your thoughts. There you go. I'm trying to work out a way to get the title of our feedback section, Penny, for your thoughts, into into our, our, uh, our announcement of what's coming up. Um, the first piece of feedback we got was an email from uh, Jim Picanisco about episode one. He says, I'm sure you guys are aware, living and having grown up in Pasadena, California, there are a few things I wanted to point out about this series. The whole freeway story is real. The Arioseco Parkway was the first freeway built in the U.S. in the 1940s. It was also used as a plot point in the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The citizen. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, the citizen unrest at the time was real. Also, when even more citizens were displaced from the same area about 20 years later, when Dodger Stadium was built in Chavez Ravine. Another cross-reference for LA and race issues during the early 40s would be the 1981 film Zoot Suit. Just chatting, though, thanks for the podcast, Jim, in Pasadena, California. Thanks so much for your email, Jim. Uh, I I, was—I know I was aware of the Areosaca Parkway uh, just purely because I'd I'd, uh, seen that interview with uh, John Logan, where he talked about... This whole idea of displacing uh, citizens around around America, forming uh, areas that of of racial tension within within various cities. So uh, I was aware of that, but I completely forgot that it was part of a uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, me I, too. I absolutely yeah. remember that the uh, the road being built into Toontown uh, in that in that movie. But it's been quite a while since I've seen it. I do want to watch it again though.
1: Mm. Would it be on Disney Plus? No, it won't.
0: Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> And it's interesting, the idea of history
2: repeating itself as well with the Dodger Stadium, Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned there, Jim. So, yeah, really uh, good. I've never seen Zoot Suit, um, the the film from 81. So, uh, yeah, thanks thanks for uh, giving us direction in that way.
0: Absolutely. But the Pachucos are uh zoot suit wearers. um you probably saw Rico ah, okay. in this episode being a very cool guy just dressed in his regular outfit so uh the zoot suits will be coming in uh, to this show as the episodes go on thanks so much for joining us jim That's, yeah uh, really thanks good. jim hope you'll enjoy the podcast and join us for the rest of it
1: yeah thank you so much jim it's great to have someone from the uh actual area with all these nuggets of information and history so please send them on it's great mm-hmm. to have you we also got a message over on Twitter, at TV Pod Industries from JT Wilkins, who said, I feel like Tiago isn't able to see Magda when she's in her true form. But if he were to meet Alex, Elsa, or Rio, he would be the only one to notice the similarities between these women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be it. I, I'm starting to feel that there's definitely going to be... Someone's going to have to be able to connect those dots, and most likely it will be Tiago the Marked. Santa Huerta man.
0: Yes. You're wondering whether she's imbued him with some kind of power, um, with that mark that she's placed on him. Um, whether he will be an agent of Santa Berta in the fight against Magda, or whether she cares at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. At the end of the day, the reason why Magda's saying Santa Berta doesn't care about this battle is because, well, she's providing all of those souls for her to take <laughs> on on onwards, and that's her job. So uh so yeah, I'm I'm really like the idea though, JT, that this could be something that he's been imbued with that. He yeah, has definitely. the ability to see through uh, those lines and, you know, how will he be in a situation uh, with all of these versions of Magda or many of the versions of Magda in the future? Because right now he has no connection with the councilman and he has no connection with Dr. Kraft at all. So, uh, So perhaps he'll see them in the future
2: yeah and and with the with the the pressure from from his mother maria and also now this this newfound relationship with molly mm-hmm. will he be spiritually uh awakened so that he can allow the force uh, of Santa Muerta's touch to to run through him mm-hmm. um definitely and i hope no metachlorians involved on this <laughs> one yeah
1: thank you so much jt great for hearing from you we also have one final piece of feedback which is a voicemail from the one and only steve brown
3: hey guys it's steve um wow uh what a great second episode and that ending uh just makes you want to wish you could go immediately to the next one of course because Mm -hmm. uh seeing adam rodriguez up and standing whether he's alive dead i don't know uh just really really great uh the scenes with Natalie Dormer, uh, playing Elsa, uh, and then of course the transformation when, uh, Peter Kraft is, is with his wife, obviously was, was weird and, uh, a little Frank with the title of the episode, you know, uh, was, uh, was another great moment there shared by him and, and the other boys and, uh, just a, a lot of good stuff in this. I, I think. I want to say that Molly, the character, seems genuine. And I really hope she is. I hope they don't follow the trope. I mean, obviously her mother looks like her mother's definitely uh, into something more than genuine uh helping people. But I'm hoping the character of Molly really is uh kind of uh, wanting to help people. And uh the rampant racism 80 years ago in, in Los Angeles, you know, it it didn't change. Uh, it's, it's terrible to say, but there still is a certain level. I mean, it's getting better obviously, but uh, there's still that rampant uh, kind of racism towards, uh, the Mexican American population and, uh, and others. But, uh, that scene with Riley and, uh, fly Rico and, uh, uh, Tego's Tego's brother—I don't remember what his name is now—was uh, a tense scene. But you see that Riley is just kind of a bully who's going to back down when he's pushed. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm I'm going to try to watch it again before next week. But uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought of this one. Talk to you later.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much for that, Steve. Yeah, it's it, you know that that scene particularly with uh, with Fly Rico and and uh, Mateo uh, and Riley. I really did like that scene because it feels like you actually do have somebody that's able to stand up to these racist bullies in the city because at times it's just surrounding Tiego so much and he feels so used to it almost that I think you mentioned it earlier on in the podcast, John, that he's just willing to kind of let it pass by him. Even when he gets spat in the face, he just walks on because he's so used to it. And it's it's kind of nice to have a character like Flyrico introduced here to say enough's enough. And he doesn't even say anything. All he says is, I want a bottle of pop. But it's enough to make these bullies back down and walk away yeah. because they don't want to start anything. So, oh, uh, well, and the flick knife, and the flick knife. But they didn't say anything. <laughs> he just opened the flick knife. Um, but yeah. it's enough. Yeah, it really, it's really good to see something like that in this episode. I would let yeah.
2: someone to the drinks machine if they pulled the a flick
0: knife yeah. on me. I'd
2: be like, okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is a real shame that obviously the racism that's that was there present in in 1930s is still. Evident in in the US, but yeah, I, I'm glad it is getting better in a lot of circles. But yeah, sadly, there are still uh, evil people who believe they're better than others uh, in the world. So, yeah, yeah. I think
2: um, I think yeah, the Riley Fly Rico scene was excellent. I I, I loved that uh, for sure, Steve. Mm. Um, I think too. I'm I'm hoping Molly is the the genuine person yeah. that she comes across in uh, the kitchens that are of that um, I suppose soup kitchen or. Uh, whatever it was but um and certainly i think miss adelaide um is you know the evil part of that kind of relationship there's other things going on there with her i suppose one of the things i always thought was really good about the um first three seasons was that you know people were very gray and even someone like uh malcolm murray came across as an absolute nightmare in some episodes (laughs) and and actually pretty um uh, insensitive and, and you, you didn't really root for them, but you know, things changed and you, you, you know, there, there was that grayness there. And, I'm I'm wondering if with John Logan, the way he writes, whether, you know, she could be one of those characters, Miss Adelaide were, um, yes, she might be protecting her church. She's protecting her daughter, but ultimately could be saved herself. Um, maybe and and not be quite so awful as she's came across in this episode but who knows it it all it all really depends um but yeah it was it i think for me steve it was a really good second episode certainly after i'd seen it a second time Mm -hmm. um i I kind of just connected in with it a bit more than on initial viewing but Yeah. yeah yeah thanks for your thoughts steve
1: absolutely thank you so much steve really appreciate it but gentlemen Hark! I do hear some music and some bells, and it's about time we go down for the Dreadful Hope Quiz.
2: Yes, indeed. Welcome back to the Repertorio Musical, Mexicano. Uh, instead of a tequila this week, maybe grab yourself a hip flask if you're drinking alone, uh, and join us for a bit of Instrumentos,
0: I think, this week. Um, do you remember, guys... We used to go to pubs for pub quizzes. We didn't just do them on the. <laughs> I, I know, I know, because it um, does feel like much more that you're going to be grabbing a hip flask at home rather than going and grab a grab a tequila in a, in a bar, right? So.
2: Well, you'd take the hip flask in to the pub and just order a coke because it was cheaper, and <laughs> pour true. the vodka or the um or, or the old whiskey, whiskey. in, yeah, yeah. Get, or even one of the nagging bottles. <laughs> I um, do remember this. Yeah, days. student days. Um, <laughs> yeah. Buy the soft drink. Mm-hmm. Although probably these days you would actually take in the soft drink and not the, the shots because they're so expensive.
0: as we say, Irish up a uh, Coke. Theory.
2: Yeah, Irish up a Coke, for sure. <laughs> no. um, but uh, yes, this week's question from episode two, uh, remember you can send in your answers to feedback at com, or you can send them in at any stage. Just make sure to get them in uh, by the end of the series uh, when we do our feedback mm-hmm. uh, and f- overall review of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. But for this week, the question is, what book is Dr. Craft reading that is soon to be adapted into a film and which Detective Mitchner and his friends are discussing as they tail her goss?
0: Mm. Yes, what is the name of the book? And of course, you can give uh, the author as well. Yes, yes. Lots of clues in the episode for that one. Um, yeah, I think these have been pretty good questions, these last two feels like you've been practicing pub quiz uh, question I, writing i have on,
2: on lockdown yes <laughs> uh, maybe i can do my um rupaul
0: drag queen uh, pub quiz questions that i did for uh, one of the quizzes maybe my, maybe if we're covering season 13 of rupaul's drag race yeah. on tv podcast industry you possibly could do that it's um, <laughs> certainly sparkly <laughs> it certainly is uh, chris uh, how many pub quizzes have you done over the course of the last couple of weeks
1: too many <laughs> I'm not even gonna, I'm not going to make a joke about it. I'm just like too many. Uh, at this point I'm going to be quizzed oh. out, but not Excellent. a dreadful pub quiz. They're the no, good exactly. They're the ones Absolutely. I want.
2: To- it's well paced the dreadful pub
0: quiz, um mm. for sure. It certainly is. It
1: certainly we could is.
2: go on to dreadful bingo or dreadful murder mystery uh, <laughs> in time Clued
0: up. maybe. Cluedo. Do you you want to give a question one more time? Make sure we got it.
2: Yeah. What book is Dr. Craft reading that is soon to be adapted into a film and which detective Michener and his friends are discussing as
0: they tale her goss? Excellent. That is it for our discussion for the episode. All of our feedback and the pub quiz for the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com and you can support us if you want to by sharing the podcast. You can also support us monetarily over on patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries. Pop us a penny. Why not? We'll be back next week with Penny Dreadful City City of Angels, episode three, Wicked Old World, Mm. which comes out on May 10th
1: yes thank you so much fellow dreadful listeners um penny faithfuls and everything in between um mm. it's great having you here great having you with us and uh, i'm out of here
2: <laughs> yeah thanks so much uh, fellow dreaders and penny faithful uh it's a pleasure speaking with you as always and just remember keep watching keep listening and keep praying mm-hmm. bye
0: i'm not stupid i'm just ill-informed
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> that's what I'm going to use for that one. <laughs> oh God! Thank God, I'm going to be able to slag people, and they still won't know that I'm slagging them. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, John. I love bye, 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 bye.